Given the length of today's passage, you're invited to remain seated uh, for our scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 13, verses 3 through 36. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will, the, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of, of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to, be bear, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant or for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it will not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Father, uh, it is once again our desire uh, to be attentive to what you have to say to us. We know that in your word is life. Your word points us to your son. Your word nourishes us. And so we ask that your spirit would again strengthen us to hear whatever it is that you have to say to us this morning, that more and more we would be the people you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's quite the passage, isn't it? Uh, It's uh, obviously both long, and if you know anything about the history of this passage, it's not an easy one to understand. There are a variety of interpretations about some of these things. What I have found helpful whenever I come to a difficult passage like this is advice that I was given fairly early on, and that is to remember that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. That is, the stuff that God most wants us to know is also the clearest. And so when we come to a passage that's somewhat confusing, the best thing to do is to start with what is clear in it and work from there to maybe understand things that are less clear. And here's what I think is the clearest part of this passage. It is what Jesus is seeking to do with this passage, what he is seeking to lead his disciples to do. And specifically, in these verses, is a call to be courageous. So we see hints of it even in verse 7, in verse 6. He says, you know, see that no one leads you astray. In verse 5, verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, don't panic. But then it's probably clearest in verse 9. But be on your guard. In fact, that that phrase, be on your guard, is repeated, if you notice. Verse 23, but be on your guard. Verse 33, be on guard. And and literally, verse 9, what's translated be on your guard is literally watch yourself. Watch yourself. So there, there will be times that we will face fear, he tells us. There will be times that we are going to be anxious and do not in that moment respond in panic. Watch yourself, allow yourself, keep yourself doing what you need to do even in the face of anxiety. And that's, that's what courage is, right? Courage is in the face of fear to do what you need to do. It is to say, I feel this way Nevertheless, I will act. When I think of of courage, I think of Flight 93. Uh, We're familiar with that story on September 11. uh, Flight, early morning departure for Newark to San Francisco. Fairly early on, three terrorists took over the plane, forcing the 30 passengers to the very back. It was not that long before they started making phone calls with cell phones. One person, Todd Beamer, tried calling through the the airplane phone. There used to be phones on the seats of airplanes. And he wasn't able to actually get in contact with the person he was calling. He ended up being redirected to a United Airlines flight uh, representative. And through these phone calls, they came to realize that two airplanes had already hit the towers of September 11, and they realized this was probably another one that had some intended target. And at that point, you have these 30 people discussing and thinking through, what do we do at this point? And they came to the decision that probably what they needed to do 
was to storm the front and seek to put the airplane into the ground. We have this as evidence because of all the different phone calls and stuff. And, and you can just imagine, I tried to imagine what it would be like in that moment to be one of those 30 people. Um, you're in the back of the plane. You're already terrified, right? This is, you've, you've not had anything like this to prepare for. And, and now the decision is do I charge into danger towards people with knives where I'm almost certainly going to get injured or maybe killed, and even if I succeed, death is really the outcome that I'm pursuing. Everything in you in that moment is saying, I want to sit down, and I don't want to do a thing, and maybe it will be okay. But if you know the story, you know that one of the last things that was heard is Todd Beamer saying, okay, are you ready? Let's go. Let's roll, excuse me. And and shortly after, the airplane dives hits the fields in Pennsylvania, and the target was spared. That's, that's courage. In, in the face of fear, saying, nevertheless, I will do what I need to do. Now, it's likely none of us will ever have a situation like that that calls for courage, but in, in a much smaller but real way, we, we find ourselves being called to courage regularly. Think about procrastination. What is procrastination? I mean, think of those times. There are times that we know that we have something really important that we need to do. Maybe it's a really difficult phone call, and we find ourselves doing everything else instead of it. We, we, there's emails. Oh, I need to respond to this email, or, oh, you know, I have to do these tasks or whatnot. Or, or maybe we have this big paper that we need to complete for school, and suddenly we decide this is the perfect time to clean our room. We never clean our room, but now we do. That's, we know how procrastination works. We want to do anything other than the thing that we know is important to do. Why? Because we're afraid. Either we think that what we're going to have to do will be just so unpleasant, or we think that we're not going to do it well, that we're going to fail at it. And in that moment, the only way forward is through courage. It's through recognizing that even though, saying, nevertheless, I feel this way, nevertheless, I will do what needs to be done. And what I think Jesus is communicating to us here is that if you are a follower of him, if you are one of his disciples, you need to take courage. That's the heart of this passage. And once we see that, what we can see is that what this passage really does is two things. It it tells us why we need to be courageous and why we can be courageous. So first, why we need to be courageous. The passage really begins with some confused disciples. If you were here last week, you'll know that Jesus has declared that the temple, that the crown jewel of Jerusalem, the temple is about to be destroyed. And so the disciples ask these questions. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And that last question actually is maybe even asking something more than we might recognize. When he says, what will be the sign when all of these things, he's not anymore just talking about the temple. He is suggesting that, and he's assuming that whenever the temple happens, that's the end of everything. Like the temple is the big thing. So if the temple is being destroyed, all of these things, that means Armageddon is probably taking place. That means it's the end of time. That means whenever the temple is destroyed, that's when God brings everything about. There's an assumption. This will be the end point. 
And so that's what Jesus corrects in the first passage. The first section, Jesus wants to say, if you think that this is a sprint, that following me has a destination that's really close at hand, you are mistaken. This is going to be a long and difficult road. So he speaks of how there are going to be things that are going to be frightening. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes. And, and if you know your history, you know that shortly after Jesus' ascension, a few decades, the temple is destroyed. Nations rising against nation. A couple of centuries, a few centuries later, you have Rome being sacked, something that no one could have conceived possible. Rome seemed invulnerable. Nation is being destroyed. There, there are earthquakes, and throughout these cataclysmic, catastrophic events, people are saying, this is the end. This must be the end of time. And Jesus says, don't be misunderstanding that. Notice, this must take place, verse 7, but the end is not yet. Verse 8, these things will happen, there will be famines, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. He's saying the road is much longer. This is not something that's going to end quickly with some catastrophe. There's a long and hard road for you who follow me. And in fact, the difficulty he makes explicit in the following verses. They will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And if you know Acts, you know this is what happens, that there are people who are imprisoned who are apostles, there are people who are killed. And it's not just in the book of Acts, it's the, the history of the church. Uh, we mentioned in prayer early reign covenant church, this church in China where property has been seized, where many have been imprisoned, where people's jobs have been lost. That's what Jesus is talking. Many are going to experience this who follow me all because of their love for me. In our country, we don't experience anything nearly as intense, but we do know a bit of the challenge of, of speaking about Jesus to people. If we're a Christian, that might be okay, but if we actually care enough about it to talk about Jesus, what do people think of us in that moment? Jesus says there's going to be a long, hard road you need to be ready. And then he, he actually continues and says, and then it's going to get worse. So the specific question that Andrew asks, if you remember, is what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And beginning with verse 14, he actually answers that question. Here is the indication that the end is near. After the long road, here is the climax. It says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. In the book of Daniel, uh, the abomination, there's this abomination that is this thing that is just so abhorrent in the eyes of God that, that appears in the temple and, it, and it's desolating to the worship of God's people. It, it, it corrupts, it's destructive. And what Jesus seems to be saying here is that there is going to be a time where there will be some some leader who is viewed as a Christian or is supported by Christians who will lead many astray, who will lead people into idolatry, who will corrupt the worship of God's people. 
That certainly seems to be how the Apostle Paul interprets what Jesus is saying here. If you were to look at um, 2 Thessalonians, he is speaking to a church who's terrified because people have told them that the end is already here and they've missed it. And Paul says, you don't need to worry. The end isn't yet, and here's how you know. The end won't happen until the man of lawlessness, that's Paul's expression for this. The man of lawlessness is revealed and he exalts himself and sits in the temple and claims to be God and leads many astray. He's talking about the same thing that Jesus is. He's saying near the very end, there will be a leader who will be abhorrent to God, who will lead people into idolatry. This will be a sign. And then once that happens, things are going to be really frighteningly bad. We have all of this description from, from 14 onwards about, about how devastating, how terrifying it will be. People need to flee. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that the days are shortened. Verse 19 really sums it up. In those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now. Never will be. Tribulation just means suffering. There will be a time of suffering unlike any other. And Jesus concludes in this section, verse 23, be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you can be courageous. I'm telling you this because it's important to know when something difficult is before you. It is important to know that the road that you are on is long and there are going to be real significant challenges and it's going to get better. Sorry, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's important for us to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. In our country, we tend to like to focus on the more cheerful parts, right? We're, we're people who only like movies with happy endings, and in the same way, when we look at Scripture, we pay a lot of attention, and rightly so, to the promises of, of the joy that we have in Christ, the wisdom we have in obeying Him, the peace that we have in knowing His love, and all of these are absolutely true, and really those are the final word, and yet we also have to hold on to this reality, that Jesus is being quite frank with us. He's, he's speaking straight with us. He's saying, don't misunderstand. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard at times. And, and if we think about it, there are many occasions where following Jesus can be a frightening thing, and we can be tempted to be sidetracked by our fears. Jesus calls us to live below our means so that we can give for the sake of the gospel, and that can be frightening. Jesus calls us to let go of some of our desires, even some of our dreams, our relationships, if they do not fit with what His plan is for us, and that can be terrifying. Jesus calls us as followers of Him to speak about Him to a world that mocks His name. And sometimes Jesus even calls us to be faithful to him in a way that will cause us to lose our property or our jobs or even our lives. Jesus is telling us these things because he is saying, you need to be courageous. Watch yourself. Don't, don't let yourself be sidetracked by fear Nevertheless, you must say, I will do what I'm called to do. 
I was uh, looking, there's a, a Facebook page called Pray for Early Rain Covenant Church. It's the Facebook page where the people from Early Rain are kind of communicating to the rest of the world some of what they're experiencing and how to be praying for them. Uh, this is, again, this church that is experiencing persecution. And, and in one section of the Facebook page, you actually see some of the sermons of their lead pastor, uh, Pastor Wang Yi. And, and last October, when there was already some degree of persecution, but he hadn't yet been imprisoned, uh, he said these words, and he said, speaks with much more authority about this than I can, so I'm just going to quote him. He speaks to his Chinese congregation saying, when someone at your school or at your company tries to make you sign a pledge not to believe in Christianity, and as he makes everyone sign it, when Paul says that as children of light we are called to expose the darkness, he is not merely saying that we shouldn't sign it. He is saying that not only must you refuse to sign the pledge, but you must rebuke those who do such things. You are light. Your responsibility is to expose the darkness. As the church today faces a new round of government persecution, God is not saying all you need to do is not sign the paper. God says, no, if you remain silent when you ought to speak out against them, then your silence is tantamount to betrayal. To hide is to renounce your identity as children of light. May the Lord allow this church not only be a church of light that does not walk in darkness, but also a church that exposes the darkness. We will not hide. We will not be silent because we have something to say to the city because we were saved in order to declare a message to this world. And this is not just courage in a vacuum. Just two months later, he and his wife both were imprisoned. All of the property was seized. He's still imprisoned without any lawyer, and many others are. But he, in the face of fear, is saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, we must be courageous because that is what our Savior calls us to. And that is the point that Jesus has here. It is going to be hard. You should be aware that there will be challenges Watch yourself. Be on your guard. You are called to be courageous. We need courage, Jesus says. But also, we in this passage see why we can be courageous. And the reason is, is because of hope. Think about what, what is it that enables us to be courageous courageous in a time that it's hard? Isn't it the ability to know that there is going to be something that we can do that will matter, that will make a difference, that will be worth it? When a runner is feeling like he can't give any more, and he's feeling worn down, and yet then he sees the finish line, he knows if he just keeps going, that will be enough. The hope is what sustains him. When we have a difficulty with procrastinating, say, some sort of project, isn't it better once we start it? Once we start it and we start realizing, oh, I actually can do this, suddenly procrastination goes to the background because we have hope, and so we're able to act. When we look at Jesus, Jesus is the, the apex of courage. If you think about what he faced when he was looking at the cross, when you think of how even he was pleading with God, Father, take this cup from me, and yet he goes to the cross. How? It's not just that he has some steely determination. Hebrews says that when he went to the cross, he said, who for the joy 
that was set before him went to the cross. Jesus was able to go to the cross because of hope, because he knew on the other end of the cross was the resurrection, because he knew that on the other end of the cross was the redemption of those that he loves, the celebration that would come together with the church, and that hope is what fueled his courage. And in the same way, even as Jesus calls us to courage, he also gives us the means by which we can take courage. He gives us hope. And what we see in this passage again and again is a simple theme. When, when you face suffering, know this, that I will be near. So in the first occasion where he speaks about how you will stand before trial, and when you bring to trial and deliver, do not be anxious. Why? Because my Holy Spirit will be right there. My Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, I will be near, you don't need to be afraid. It's a remarkable thought when you think of it that, that God has given us his powerful Holy Spirit. Whenever God puts you in a situation where you realize a door might be open, you're talking with a friend and somehow it's come to a place where you feel like this is an opening where it would be appropriate for me to speak of Jesus and yet you feel like I am terrified because I don't think it's gonna go well, I'll be inadequate, how can I possibly think that I can persuade them? You need to remember this, you are not alone. God's powerful Holy Spirit is there with you, and he is capable of doing far beyond what you can imagine. Who knows what he will do as you are faithful, because God is near. Therefore, take courage. Again, we see this theme in verse 13. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Saved by whom? By him, by Jesus. He's saying, at the finish line, there will be joy, there will be my salvation. I am near. It becomes even more explicit in this next section where he is talking about this really terrifying future, but notice where he goes in verse 24. In those days after this tribulation, when this suffering has taken place, what's gonna happen? The Son of Man, me, I will come. When suffering is worst, that is when I am nearest. I am near. And that, and that gives hope when we understand it because when we recognize truly what Jesus is saying, we need to realize that the person who is making this promise is the king whose greatness and power is beyond our ability to comprehend. It says in those days when, when he's talking about the Son of Man coming back, what's going to happen? The sun will hide. It won't be able to show its face. The moon will hide. It will not show its face. The stars will hide. The earth will shake in fear. Why? Because they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Not coming as a baby but coming in glory that, glory that makes the entire universe terrified, filled with awe. And all of those who have denied Christ will fall on their face in agony, and those who have confessed Christ and have endured will also be filled with awe and fear, but also joy because they know their king has come. And do you see what he will do? It says, and then 
He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Just imagine, imagine brothers and sisters right now who are in, in prison in places. Or imagine those of us, maybe, maybe we find ourselves in a place of financial difficulty because we've been faithful to Christ and that meant we lost our work and suddenly in one moment we see this glorious angel coming to us and we are flabbergasted and he says to us, it's time. Jesus is calling you and I've come to bring you to him. That's, that's the promise that we have in these verses. Jesus is saying, it's going to be hard, but you need to know that when it gets hardest, I am nearest. He uses the sign of the fig tree. He says, here's, here's what the fig tree tells us. When you see the leaves are green, that means summer is coming. When you see suffering as intense as I'm describing, that means I am coming. Endure. You are called to courage, and you can be courageous because you have hope, because wherever suffering is, know that I am near. That's what this passage is telling us. Yes, the road, we need to be ready. It's going to be long. It's going to be hard. It's going to be worse before it gets better. But throughout, Jesus will be preserving and protecting us. He will always be near, and we can have hope. Now, as we conclude, I, I, want, I want to make sure that we don't hear this the wrong way because I think, as I've been thinking about this, I've realized a tendency that we might have to say, okay, I've just got to buckle down. I've got to have steely determination. I am going to be courageous. And I want to say, I don't think actually what this, that's what this passage is calling us to. I think that's how the disciples actually heard it. I mean, do you remember later on, we'll see in chapter 14, when, when Jesus is talking about what's going to happen, Peter says, even if everyone else leaves, I will not leave. I will be courageous. And we know what happens to him, right? But I want you to consider this. The Son of God himself whose faith was perfect, how did he find courage to do what he was called to do? Not, not simply through steely-eyed determination and willpower. What does he do? He, he falls down on his face before God in, in helplessness and prayer, and he empties himself again and again, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done again and again. And as he finishes emptying himself, God fills him with courage, and he stands and says, arise, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. Even the Son of God found courage not through just force of will, but through prayerful dependence upon his Father. And so as Jesus calls us from the need for courage, and he tells us how we can have courage and, courage and hope, he calls us first and foremost to turn to him in prayer. And I'd like to invite us to do that even now. We will take some time as we consider what God has been teaching us to, to confess our sins, but I also want to invite us in that time of silence as we, as we are aware of, and I speak personally, of a lack of courage in terms of following Christ, let us turn to him in prayer and ask him for help. So if you could respond where the print is bold. Our Lord and King, together, we confess 
that in our hearts, in our minds, and with our hands, we have disobeyed you. We have failed to give you the honor and worship that you deserve as our King and as our God. We have bowed before idols of our own making and served the creature rather than the Creator. Let's pray silently. Deliver us, Lord, and forgive us only by the blood and merits of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news of the gospel from Hebrews 4. In Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.